Welcome to Ozarks Hates and Hooch. This ain't no fancy, academic, check your references kind of deal. We are two sisters from the Ozarks, sipping and spewing about Hanks, Hooch, and history. Well, howdy everybody. Welcome to Ozarks Haints and Hooch. I have managed to get my ring stuck on the spiral of a notebook, and now it is stuck to my hand. <laughs> you know, so yesterday was Friday the 13th, and I swear I could not do anything. And I didn't even know it was Friday the 13th until I had to drive back to the furniture repair guy because I could not evidently screw in a screw. And, and he's like, I said, evidently I'm too stupid to screw in screws. And he goes, well, you know, it's Friday the 13th. I was like, oh, that explains oh, everything. That's it. All right. I am now disattached from the spiral notebook. Dear Lord, I'm not, it's my thumb ring. How do you even do that? <laughs> You're so having this is Gina. I'm with Dawn. I mean, not really with Dawn. She's in South Carolina. I'm in Missouri. Yeah. Um, so tonight we're doing, or tonight, today, whenever you're listening to us, we're doing a, a little different. Um, it's kind of our Halloween episode. And instead of doing a story per se, we are doing several little stories, um, ghost stories or, uh, I don't know, haunting tales um we've got a, a couple each um for you i will remind you that we are on facebook and instagram that we have cats and dogs no mowing though i will tell you that it is the clips today and yeah. while we're recording this that is going to happen so at some point we might both start screaming i don't know we'll see and, or the world might end and let that so that ought to tell you all that we are actually recording the freaking day before we're supposed to upload the podcast yeah, we and I, for the first time in a long many many could be years year uh i've got to sing uh during a concert series tonight which i'm kind of nervous about so there's no way I can get this edited and get to my gig. So anyway, we're late. I'm sorry. It's us. That's what we do. Welcome to our world. Oh, I got to say we're here. What? What? Uh, we, said... forgot, we forgot to say we've got a special guest um, storyteller on the podcast. Today. Oh, okay. I'll introduce her when it comes time to do that. But um, okay. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So normally we were uh, we release on the first and the fifteenth. I was going to say rehearse, but obviously we never rehearse. <laughs> we don't. It rehearse. Doesn't get done ever. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, we're going to be a little late, as Don said. So sorry. It is what it is. I we apologize. I don't know. I don't know what else to but say. We love us, right? Be oh, so <laughs> you know, I got to interject. So I made. I met. Um, the podcasters from the really, um, good and kind of they're getting famous, um, Palimpsest, which is an, a horror audio drama. You guys, I, they're not paying me for this. You should give them a listen. Um, I'm only saying it cause they're my new friends, but we were talking about 
how we both approach podcasts. Oh my God, Dina, it was was so embarrassing because I'm like, yeah, we're recording the day before we're supposed to upload and it's going to be late. And like they write, he writes all the episodes or half of the season's episodes in the summer. And then they get together and talk. I mean, they're just so prepared it's a whole different format, but I'm like, really? Because some sometimes Dina and I don't even know what we're saying until. Yeah, sometimes, all the time. It's going to yeah. come out of our mouths now. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. we all, we both have full-time jobs. That isn't necessarily their deal. And oh, well, there you go. No, we don't. <sighs> so anyway, as we were saying, um, when you do listen to us and please listen to us, even though we're a little chaotic and, and scattered this time, subscribe and give us five stars. Um, <laughs> we do have a, I'm sorry. That made me laugh after everything we just said, please give us all the stars. Pretend yeah. we're real good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're entertaining at least. Oh, that is true. Um, <laughs> our website is ozarksaintsandhooch.weebly.com. Um, and I think, I think that is it, um, for, for that part, I have picked a drink out this time and it is called a Thirteeny. It's too sweet for Dawn, but I think it's good. Um, it is just a moment. It is, uh, one and a half ounces of vodka, an ounce of lemon juice, Three-fourths ounces of simple syrup, a half ounce of pomegranate juice, and one maraschino cherry. So you take a chilled, well, first of all, you take the vodka, lemon juice, and some simple syrup, and you put that in a shaker. Shake that, then you put, uh, drain that into a chilled martini glass. And then you take the pomegranate juice and pour it over the back of a spoon so it will, um, fall to the bottom I guess mine didn't really work that way but it's fine it's still I didn't do it okay go ahead I'm gonna tell you something go ahead sorry okay I did I did do it and it still didn't work but that's it's fine it all tastes the same it's still pretty and then you drop a maraschino cherry in the bottom of the glass and I it is sweet I like it though Okay, I okay. Here's all the things that happened with this drink. I made it early because I'm freaking out um, about my day today. So I bought this local vodka from Charleston, made out of potatoes, which is you know what real vodka is supposed to be made out of. But all the vodkas we buy now, including Tito's, is made out of grain, right? So if you're gluten intolerant or whatever, you you shouldn't be drinking that but anyway this vodka is called i'm not they're not paying us but it's called sweet grass vodka and they put a blade of sweet grass in the bottle for you which is kind of cool and it's Mm -hmm. fun i mean to me i guess vodka has flavor and that's you know what i mean but like i like it it's a little stronger so i use that i think i may have left my simple syrup on the stove a little too long because it came out really thick and i use the same measurement so maybe that's why it's too sweet and then I didn't do it over the back of the spoon. I just did it down the side of the glass and it did, it did work for me. I mean, if you look at the picture, um, but my, because it said, put a chilled glass in the refrigerator, my glass was all foggy. 
because it's like percent humidity here right now huh. that's like 55 degrees and overcast today oh, yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be today and raining and then the world's gonna end but tomorrow it's supposed to be like the high 70 so i'm excited about that but it's hell here it's hot i'm sorry always i'm sorry all right. Um, so I'm going to start. I'm going, wait. So what? I want to read no? something. I found. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found this. Oh, crap. Are you kidding? Just uh -huh. I, I know. Oh, here we go. So um, in one of Vance Randolph's books, and I have read this before, May Kennedy McCord who was a newspaper, she was a columnist and a radio personality in Springfield. This is what she says about ghost stories, which I thought was really good. Um, May Kennedy McCord thinks that the decay of ghost stories in the Ozarks, now this is in the 30s is when this is written, is due to the fact that there are so few really lonesome places nowadays. In order to raise a good crop of ghosts, she says, we must have a lot of old mills and deserted houses and covered bridges. And these romantic spots are not so common as they used to be. All right. Yeah, I think there's some lonesome places, but, I, you know, I think yeah. right. it's hard to... Dina and I have been to some. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right, that's all I wanted to say. I just thought that was really interesting that she was saying that so long ago you know okay yes okay so um i chose a couple of stories out of helen holler stories by douglas Mankey. Mm -hmm. um i have used him before i mean he's a, a well-known historian here in taney county mm -hmm. um so my first story is will of the wisp and it is like I said, from the Hill and Holler stories by Douglas Mankey. And mine are not so much scary. That's not what he does. He just gives you some history and some folk folklore. So I'm going to leave Dawn for the scary today. But here, here this is. Our family moved to Mincy Valley in the southern Taney County in 1914. We had not lived there long before we heard of the strange light that occasionally appeared north of the little town site. One summer evening, we witnessed this phenomenon from our front porch. A soft white light seemed to float along in an uneven weaving motion. It was about a mile away and moved along about eight feet above ground level. This was not far away from the Mincy Cemetery, and many folks talked of the ghosts and evil spirits. Young boys out possum hunting gave this territory a wide berth. I saw the light a few times while in the woods hunting and always took the shortest route home. Mother explained that it was a jack-o'-lantern or a will-o'-the-wisp. The Latin for this strange light is ignis fatus, which translated is foolish fire, and is defined as a singular luminous appearance resembling a pale flame, times hovering over marshy places, and also, according to a very doubtedly tradition, in churchyards at night. The very early English name for the phenomenon was will-o'-the-wisp, the name varies with peoples and sections of the world. The French call light Pieu Follet. Other names are Foxfire, Corpse Light, Friar's Lantern, and in German it is Ehrlich. If you like that, was that good German accent? Ehrlich. 
Um, to some people in some lands, it is an omen of death, a wandering lost soul. It is accompanying some invisible funeral procession. Some believe it is the soul of an unbaptized infant. The Finns called this weird light Lekio and believe that it is an elf light that presides over the plants and trees. This word translated means the flaming one. Finns believe it is the soul of a child who has been buried in the forest. Uh, Indians of northeastern of the northeastern United States called this manifestation fire creature and regarded it as an omen of death. In many parts of the Ozark country, one hears tales of moving lights, which usually appear in cemeteries. The graveyard lights are seldom seen at regular intervals or by a large number of witnesses. Vance Randolph, in his book, Ozark Superstitions, says that the people who live near a little burying ground on Highway 123 between Spokane and Walnut Shade in Taney County have talked about such foxfire lights for many years. A bluish light, they say, apparently about as high as a man's head, first appears among the gravestones and then slowly crosses the road. Randolph quotes from a letter Reverend A.F. Graves of Hartville, Missouri, wrote to Mae McCord, in which the Reverend relates a fearsome story of seeing a pillar of fire at Little Creek Cemetery two days before Christmas in 1925. The minister surely saw something scary, for he signed the letter, Yours in Jesus' Name. There has always been some doubt as to the actual existence of the odd and ghostly light, and many have investigated it. They have never arrived at satisfactory conclusions, but those who firmly believe in its existence account for it as a spontaneous combustion of gases. So far as I am concerned, this is the explanation. The light we saw at Mincy was hovered over a piece of boggy ground, a sort of natural marsh marshland. I also saw a very awesome and strange light on Long Creek. One dark night, I was fording the creek on horseback, and this strange light, something like a pale lantern, moved along the creek bank. There was no sound, sound, and the light slowly faded away. I doubt anyone seeing these will-o'-the-wisps anymore. The countryside is so well lit with electric lights of all kinds, from White River Valley Electric Corporate that, uh, cooperative, sorry, that a little, poor little old will-o'-the-wisp would not have a chance. So everything you said about what she said, he kind of just said too. Yeah. Have, do we know where that is? What, like the will of the wisp. Yeah, in Mincy. I mean, in Mincy. I like that uh, when you when you were telling that story. Like my brain was firing, but I can't. Like I know where the Mincy Cemetery is, so we should go yes. out tonight. Yeah, Christmas. Uh, yeah, that's uh. My Hitchcock friends, that's where they live. They live out in Mincy. They also said that there's uh, a cemetery between Spokane and Walnut Shade. And they have Foxfire, too. Well, we need to do that one yeah. dark night over Christmas. Yeah. Get ready, Will of the Wisp. We're coming for you. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm going to add this because it's a little... So our costumer at Shepherd has... um, What are they called? He called them witching sticks. That's oh, not what we call them. Water witch. Like I, I yeah. do that. You know. So I, he taught he taught me kind of how to water witch the other day, and it worked. Okay, he I was trying that. to find um the water line. He uses them. There's a water line that runs underneath the building, and he uses them to find the water line. And so he taught me how to. I mean, not really taught me. He just showed me how to do it. I don't know. 
if I did it correctly or not, but I, I, I just thought that was pair. interesting. I got a pair of them I'll give to you because Jacob can do it too. And he decided he didn't want to do it anymore. But um, anyway, yeah, I do that too. Um, so Christmas, that maybe that'll be in your stocking if you want it. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. All right. You're next. Go. To talk. We're just catching up on things. Okay. Yep. So the story I'm going to tell is um, if you guys knew Richard and Judy Young, they uh, Judy was out at the Silver Dollar City for years. She would sit at the cabin right at the top of the hill and tell stories. And then Richard, who we also called Tiny, was in the saloon and he was in the Toby show with me. And they were lovely people. And so this is a story. I'm not sure who told this, probably Judy, uh, called The Vanishing Rider. On a cold, windy night, a young man was riding alone on a dark road in the hills. The moon was full and it was corn. It was a it was the corn shucking moon, which I believe has to like maybe in September, I think. Um, as he rode along, the sound of the horse's hooves echoed, echoed off the cliff face through the brush to one side of the trail. All of a sudden, like, he saw a young woman standing beside the trail, dressed in a calico dress, but without even a bonnet to keep her warm. The boy thought that her horse must have thrown her and run on home without her. Or maybe she'd walked too far from the house at dusk and lost her way. He rode up beside her and said, Evening, miss. It's a cold night out for a young lady without her bonnet. Evening, sir, she said. Could you give me a ride to my rightful place? She sure was pretty and didn't seem to mind the cold at all. Now, in those days, a young man going to court and would ride to the young woman's cabin, leading a saddled horse of his along for her to ride. If she didn't ride good, he'd lead her along from his he'd lead her along from on his own mount. But if she was a good rider, she'd just ride along beside him to play party or to dance. So this young man had never rid with a young lady on the same horse before, and he was plumb nervous about it. Sure thing, miss, he said. She put her foot on his boot and reached up for his hand and then smiled. He hoisted her up, and she rode astride the horse behind him on the tail of a saddle blanket. He took off his own scarf and passed it back to her to wrap her shoulders in. She put the scarf on and reached around him and hugged him tight. And she said with a smile in her voice, I'm set. The young man goaded his horse and they started down the trail at an easy jog. As they rode, the young man couldn't think what to say to this beautiful girl. And she held him closer than ever as if to keep warm. She laid her head against his strong back and said, it's a lovely night. Sure is, the young man managed to say. Her arms around him felt so good, but she seemed awfully cold, and he wondered why her teeth didn't chatter. He let go of the reins with his right hand, folded his arm over her arms to keep her warm. She sighed and snuggled up against him so loving-like that he reached his hand into her hand. And they rode on holding hands for a while till they come to the burying ground. I'll get off here, she said sweetly. Well, the boy couldn't figure out why. He didn't recollect there being a house anywhere near the graveyard. Maybe her family was traveling and they'd camped for the night under the brush arbor. Before he could say anything else, she put her hand on his shoulder and slid down to rest her shoe on his boot. As she was stepping down, she looked him in the eyes and smiled at him sweet-like and kissed him on the cheek. 
Thanks for the ride, she said. She was so graceful and so beautiful. She was off the horse and walking into the graveyard toward the brush arbor out of sight before he realized that she was still wearing his scarf. He sat there for a moment, then slapped the reins on his horse and rode home fast. The next morning, he was up with the chickens and out of the cabin before daylight. That there scarf gave him the perfect excuse to go and see her again. He rode up to the burying ground just as the sun was coming up. He dismounted beside a buggy that was tied there and looking into the graveyard, he saw a man standing in the midst of the stones dressed in a long frock coat. Maybe it was her paw. The young man tied his horse aside the other one and walked into the burying ground. Morning, sir. Morning, young fella. All of a sudden, like, the boy recognized the older man. You're the judge, ain't you, sir? Yes, I am, said the man. Having hoped to meet the family of travelers and seeing no one else around, the boy thought that the judge might know something. What brings you to the burying ground so early? I've come to visit my daughter's grave, says the judge. She died seven years ago last night in Indian summer. Her horse threw her. It was down the road about a mile there. He pointed back along the cliffside and then turned and stared at the gravestone in front of him. The boy felt a cold chill, even though the sun was hitting him now. I met a girl last night, he said. And then for the first time, he looked down at the gravestone. You're the seventh boy that's given her a ride home, says the judge with a tear in his eye. And he bent down and lifted the boy's scarf off the gravestone where it lay wrapped around the corners of the marble. Here, son, you'll be needing this back. The judge walked away and the boy stood there for a long, long time before he climbed on his horse and rode back home again. I think I've heard that one before. Yeah, it's a that I was going to say that's there's a lot of those. Well, remember Pee Wee's Big Adventure, a large marge <laughs> where you you take a ride with someone and then they're dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, there's a supernatural. Imagine that. There's a supernatural <laughs> <laughs> about everything. Okay, about everything. All right. Okay. Am I going? Yes. You're going. My turn. Um. This is called Nothing But Old Bones. Eliza Johnson was a boyhood friend. His, oh, not Eliza, Elza. Elza, E-L-Z-A. It's the weirdest name I think I've ever heard. Elza. Elza? Mm-hmm. His father, Joel Johnson, and my father operated a large general store at Kirbyville about 1911 and 1912. Kirbyville was a village of some hundred souls. The country road running north and south was the main street. It was also a section of the famous Springfield Harrison Freight Road. The village stretched out for about one fourth mile on both sides of the road with businesses, houses, blacksmith shop, a Masonic hall, post office, and the dwellings scattered along the full distance. The town site was level, but to the east and north were round-topped hills covered with cedar. The little house at the far north end of the town was occupied by a character known as Old Dad Hall. Dad Hall was a newcomer to those parts. Where he came from or where he went, I never knew. The house and premises had been occupied by Dr. Callan, a country doctor, just before Mr. Hall moved to Kirbyville. When the good doctor moved away, he left something in the barn. 
about the first thing Dad Hall discovered was a complete human skeleton in the corn crib. Mm. I suppose the doctor had obtained this for study of the bones in connection with his profession. Dad Hall was a bachelor, and it was not to his fancy to be living alone at the far edge of town with a human skeleton in his corn crib. He set out to do something about it. He was not about to touch the thing and was looking about for some cheap and painless way of getting it removed. He found Coon Johnson and me, that'd be Elza, mm-hmm. playing in the street near the big store. We were about 10 at the time. Old Dad Hall walked up to us and passed the time of day in a most pleasant way, inquiring about our health and our gains. Then he got around to what he was after all the time. As he said to us, would you boys like to make a quarter apiece right easy? You bet we would, we chimed together. Quarter in 1912 was bigger than the Great Society dollar of 1967. (laughs) Well then, just come along with me. And he turned and walked rapidly up the big road towards his home. We dropped our game and followed, eager to make that kind of money. We followed him through the yard gate where he picked up a shovel and a tow sack and then to the little barn. He led the way into the hallway and then opened the door of the corn crib. We stood back in a state of shock. There on the floor was a pile of human bones with the skull in the middle of the heap. We did not move. We did not speak. We had never seen such except for the pictures in our grade school physiology. Old man Hall stepped back and urged us into the corn crib. Well, no hill boy of 10 wants to be counted a piker or have it ever said of him that he was scared. Slowly and carefully, we stepped into the narrow corn crib. Coon held the sack. Each of us waited for the other to pick up the first bone. Finally, old man Hall said mockingly, mockingly, you ain't afeard, are you? There's nothing but old bones. With that taunt, we began. Gingerly, we picked up the little toe and finger bones. Then the bigger bones were seized and tossed into the toe sack. Finally, we had every bone in the sack except the skull. Then we stopped and looked at each other. Coon's jolly smile was not there. We just squatted on that dirty floor with the cobwebs all over and the walls and ceiling. It seemed an eternity. Finally, Coon gritted his teeth and quickly laid hold of the skull and thrust it into the old sack. Old Man Hall handed me the shovel. Coon picked up the sack of bones. Now, boys, he said, go up there on that high knob amongst them cedars and dig a hole and bury that whole thing, sack and all. Well, we did. The hole was not very deep and the spot was not marked. Can't remember telling anyone about this episode for years. I never did go back to that place among the cedars on the high knob. In fact, we always gave that particular section a wide berth. Our games of fox and hounds and our possum hunts were never disturbed that last resting place of the party unknown. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. My second story is going to, is kind of related to that, sort of. Look how we did that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we meant that because we take great pains <laughs> to figure yeah. out what we're doing. Okay. Huh? I'm, can I introduce uh, our special guest who isn't really here, actually, um, but uh, Jess Willis is a professional storyteller from Florence, South Carolina. And so quite a long time ago, uh, well, no, that's not true. A couple years ago, um, she invited me to do a Halloween storytelling event, only I sang and she told stories. And so one of the stories she told is probably 
the most famous Ozark ghost story that there is. And um, if you listen to it, you may have heard a version of it because I think it's not only <laughs> famous in the Ozarks. I mean, you know, stories like come from everywhere and everybody tells them different. But anyway, this okay. is called Old Raw Head and Bloody Bones. Hey y'all, my name is Jessica Willis. Dawn and I met and bonded over folklore, folk songs, and all things spooky. So when she asked me to come on and share a story on her podcast, I was real excited. And the story I'm going to share with you tonight, well, it doesn't really have a name, but I think it'll make an impression. You see, stories are reflections of the past, and we pull them out and we gaze on them and we want to remember. But sometimes, with reflections, you get more than you bargain for. Once there was this old schoolhouse in a community somewhere up in the Ozarks, nobody remembers quite where. And it was an old wooden framed schoolhouse. It had three big old windows on the south side. And on the southwest corner, there grew a gnarled old oak. And this oak's branches stretched out over the schoolyard and stretched out over the road. So it provided shade for lunch and school children and it provided shade for weary travelers. Now, as often happens in those rural communities, the schoolhouse was also a general assembly hall. So they used it for town meetings, debates, dances, and the occasional courthouse. One evening, there was a dance being held and four young men got themselves gussied up and ready to go. And boy, did they have a fantastic time that night. They square danced until they about danced a hole in the floor. They had such a wonderful time, they stayed there until everyone else had gone home and the schoolhouse was dark. Now, when they decided to leave, they saddled up their horses, they got up on the road, and they were passing the south side of the schoolhouse where they had those great big windows. Now, the road passed so close to the schoolhouse here that you could almost reach out and touch the side of the building from a horse or a carriage. So as they were riding by these windows, they looked, and in the first one, they saw the reflection of an unfamiliar man. And he looked just strange. He had sort of a sinister look on his face and a crafty little smile. And the first of the young men called out and asked him who he was and what he was doing there. And the man's face didn't change. He didn't speak. He just stood there in the window, smiling at the men on horseback outside. They called out again. And still, he didn't move, he didn't speak, he just stood there with that sinister smile on his face. And now, this was a long time ago, y'all, and these three young gentlemen had probably sampled some of the local moonshine that evening, so they were feeling a little high on themselves. So they called out again, and they said, respond or I'll start smoking, which essentially meant start talking or I'll shoot. And the figure in the window, it, he stayed still again. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't speak. He didn't move. And so the young men on horseback began firing into the window. But the strangest thing was, even as they watched the glass shatter, 
The man's face behind the window didn't change. He just stood there, smiling that same sinister smile. Now, they all knew that there was no way that anyone on the face of the planet could survive six rounds from a 45 and stand there with a smile on their face. So, several of the young men got off their horses and went into the schoolhouse to see if they could figure out what was going on. Well, they got into the schoolhouse and they looked all around and, I mean, they didn't see anything but broken glass. It, the men didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to think, and, and they figured the only thing it was to do was just to go on home. And well, a little bit later in the week, one of them found out from his father that during their grandfather's time, there had actually been a hanging at the courthouse and they'd hung the man from that oak at the southwest corner. The man wasn't from the community. He was some sort of strange migrant, and he'd attracted the attention of the wrong people, and he got blamed. Well, he got blamed for some kind of mischief. Nobody really remembered what it was. And when he'd been on trial, he stood there looking at the community, looking at one of those men's grandfather, and he told them, with a sinister little smile on his face that if they took him from his wife that he would haunt them until the judgment day and in hell thereafter. Well, they hung him anyway. And as his body swung back and forth in front of that window, they said that you could still see that sinister little smile on his face reflecting in the glass. And you know, those young men never could satisfactorily explain what happened that night and why they saw that man there. But you know what I think? I think that was him. I think that was how he was haunting that place he caught his reflection in that window forevermore. And that's what those men saw that night. Well, that was a great story from Jessica, and we sure appreciate her doing that. Thanks a lot. And now we'll move on to the final story. Okay, everybody, I'm going to attempt to sing my sec my last story. Um Good luck with that. I hope we can hear it. Um, but I was thinking about what I've been, I've been singing this a long time. And anyway, it's pretty spooky. And Dina, it's about two sisters. So don't get any ideas. Oh, super okay. spooky. They both had 
the love of the miller's son Oh, the wind and the rain But he was fond of the fairer one Oh, the dreadful wind and rain So she pushed her into the river to drown And watched her as she plowed head down all the dreadful wind and rain. So she floated all the way to the miller's pond. All the wind and the rain, dead on the water like a golden swan. All the dreadful wind and So along one day come a fiddler fair, all the wind and the rain. He saw her bones just lying there, all the dreadful wind and rain. So we made a little fiddle out of her breastbone, all the wind and the rain. He made a little fiddle out of her breastbone, crying, oh, the dreadful wind and rain. And he made little pegs out of her finger bones, oh, the wind and the rain. He made little pegs out of her finger bones, oh, the dreadful wind and rain. And he made fiddle strings of her long yellow hair Oh, the wind and the rain He made fiddle strings of her long yellow hair Crying, oh, the dreadful wind and rain But the only tune that the fiddle would play Was, oh, the wind and the rain dreadful wind and rain there you go could you hear it nice yes i could hear it except my internet is stupid and kept going in and out in and out okay well we, we yes. hope that recorded well i hope i can include it because i think that's creepy yeah All those was a good one. ballads were though creepy yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm looking outside. Let me just say, Green Venus. It looks exactly the same. Well, now it's no darker than it was. I uh, for us here in South Carolina, we're supposed to get as much of totality as we can at 118. So I think you guys aren't going to get it till like probably noonish. Yeah. Yeah. So we're still a little bit away from that. So. Gosh, we got this done without um, uh, the eclipse. Messing Happy Halloween, up, everybody. Yep. Happy Halloween. I hope it's spooky and great. I don't even know where I'll be. 
I do. Let's look. I don't even know what date that is. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. So I'll be at dress rehearsal for a Christmas story. <laughs> well, you know what? My neighbor, so there are 10 houses on my street and most of us like each other. And so we all dress up and we go to the neighbors, like my house and the neighbors across from me, we're the middle of the street. So we go to their yard and drag over my fire pit if it's cold. And then we... The kids, I mean, people now know that they come to our street and instead of going from house to house to house and we're decorated and everything, um, they just come to the circle and they have to go to each person and show us their costume and all of that. And we're drinking. Oh, that's fun. In that part that we're drinking, by the Imagine. way. Imagine. Um, right, I just looked it up and it's 1157. Oh, okay. That's when. For you. For me, yes, 11.57 is when it's supposed to. So I'll go stand out there in my pajamas at 11.57. Well, like the true hillbilly I am. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to be yet. I usually decide the day before. I got other things that are happening before that. Um, So we promise we're going to be on time next time because we actually know what we're going to do and we're going to record it many days ahead of time so that our uh -huh. patrons who are supposed to get early episodes will actually get an early episode so anyway yeah we're sorry we're, we're sorry yeah it is like i said is what it is yes. all right well i'll you mean it i'll do the end since you hosted sure you don't you have to go right ahead and do that. Things. All right. Again, thank you for listening. Um, we're on every podcast podcast that platform that I think there are. So you can listen to us anywhere. Please subscribe. Give us five stars. Go to our website, ozarkshainsonhooch.weebly.com. Uh, we have a Patreon. We sure would like it if you all would become our patron. It would help make what we do so much easier on us and uh we release attempt two on the first and the 15th so i think that's it so say goodbye 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 and remember if you liked it tell all your friends but if you didn't keep, keep your, your big, big mouth, mouth shut, shut.